Every day in Kriyashma, we say this Pasuk three times. V'yahavta es Hashem alekecha v'chol avovcha, v'chol nafshecha, v'chol miyadecha. We talk about the devotion and the love that a Yid is supposed to have to HaKadosh Baruch And one of the expressions, as we said, is b'chol nafshecha. And from there we learn about Mesiris Nefesh, that a Yid has to be willing to give up his soul, his life, Fakadish Baruch Hu. However, Mesiras Nefesh, that expression of giving up one's life, doesn't only mean giving up one's life. Rav Matasyol Solomon Zalzangizud has a very interesting insight. After Sarah passed away, Avram Avinu wanted to bury her and he wanted to buy a place that was fitting. And he went to the Bnei Ches, he was going to buy them Aras HaMachpelah, and he wanted to speak to Ephraim. Let's watch the Pasek and we'll see what Rashi says. He spoke to them saying, Im yesh Rashi says, Nafshechem means Ritzoinchem. Nefesh doesn't only mean soul, but Nefesh means desire. And what Avram Avinu was saying to the Bnei Ches, if you have the desire to help me, to bury Sarah, then let me speak to Ephraim. So Mesiris Nefesh means, in a sense, giving up something that you desire so much, but because it's not the proper thing, you're going to give it up for the sake of Hashem. And this particular presentation about Mesiris Nefesh is being sponsored by a very wonderful person from Baltimore named Fischl Gross, who is doing it, Lezecha Nishmas, his father, Chaim Shmuel Ben Rabbi Yitzchak Mordechai. Chaim Shmuel, known as Sidney Gross, came to America when he was only one years old. Now, when Shmuel grew up in Duquesne, his friends were not religious. But every Shabbos, his mother made sure that he would go to shul, and there was a rov there who had a little shul and a little cheder, and so Shmuel was able to learn some chumash, not mishnayis, not gemara. But eventually, he grew up and after high school, him and his brother went into the furniture business. They had a store, they had it for a little while, of course they closed it on Shabbos, but then during the Second World War, after Japan had attacked America, they were drafted into the army. And in the army, Shmuel made sure that he would keep Shabbos as much as possible, and every day he would put on his tefillin. And then, in October 1945, he was discharged. He got married at the age of 35. He got married to Beverly Sachs, Brinda Sachs. They decided right away they would move to Pittsburgh so that when they built a family, they would be in a religious surrounding. And, and today, all his children, of course, Fischl and all his brothers and sisters, all the children and the grandchildren and the great-grandchildren of Chaim Shmuel Gross, are all religious, all from. And as Fischl says about his father, he carried the banner, he carried the ball. When it was so difficult, he was Moisa Nefesh to keep Yiddishkeit and to be Shemesh Shabbos in the most difficult times. And how fortunate we are that Fischl is sponsoring this project of Mesiris Nefesh, Nishmas, his very special father. The name of this story 
is united in parcel service. There was a boy, an American boy, teenager who had come to learn in Eretz Yisrael. Let's call him Chesky. And Chesky learned in the Mir Yeshiva. He had many different Chavrusas, but there was one particular Chavrusa who was an Israeli fellow. Let's call him Yankel. And he loved learning with Yankel, and they became very, very close. Now, he knew that Yankel came from a very poor family. Yankel was married and had a number of children. And it happened one week that he said to Chesky, you know, we would love to invite you to eat with us Friday night. Chesky was a little hesitant because he knew that Yankel really didn't have much money, but he was a wonderful person. He figured, he'll go. It'll be nice. It's nice to accept an invitation, especially from a Talmud Chochem. But when he came to the house, he could not believe it. <gasps> there were five children around the table. The house really looked impoverished. And Chesky, of course, was there when they made Kiddush. The kids were singing nicely. And then when Yankel divided the challah by Hamoitzi, he noticed that Yankel was cutting the pieces of challah in very, very thin slices. He gave Chesky the biggest piece, but the other kids got very small portions. And that's the same thing that happened by the fish. The pieces of fish were very small for all the kids, but Chesky got the largest piece, even larger than Yankel and his wife had. And then when it came to the soup, Chesky had more soup than all the other kids, and by the chicken as well. And just Chesky could not, he just could not believe it, how poor they were and how little the children were eating. But that's all that there was there. But yet for him, they had given him the biggest portion of challah, the fish, the soup, and the chicken. Well, he left and he felt quite despondent. And a few weeks later, Yankel invited him again, but Chesky made up an excuse and he said, you know, I'm sorry, I got an invitation by somebody else, so I, I can't be there. And then a few weeks later, again, Yankel invited him and again, Chesky made up another excuse. And the third time when he refused to come, Yankel said to him, look, you know, I've invited a few times and you've rejected my invitation. Did something happen wrong the first time I invited you? Did any of the kids say something to you? Or did my wife and I do anything that makes you not want to come? And Chesky almost started crying. And he said, you know, I must tell you, I realize that you're not a wealthy guy. But I just didn't realize what the situation was. Your kids had so little to eat and you and your wife had so little to eat. I just can't come and take the food that you're giving me. And Yankel said, you know, Husky, you're really at something, but let me just explain something to you. You know, both my wife and I, when we got engaged, we realized that we both come from very, very poor families and our families could not help us at all. But we decided that Mitzvah Shem, when we have children, we're going to be Moisa Nefesh and we are going to invite guests every once in a while. And the kids and we will eat less with Mesiris Nefesh so that we can teach children what it means to have guests and to share. 
we felt that that is a very important lesson. And I'll tell you the truth, Chesky, the reason that we invite you is not only so much to be able to have you at the home, but to teach our children that under all circumstances, a family has to be moisa nefesh, to have guests and to share. Chesky was almost in tears. He said, Yankel, you're a tzaddik, but I, I just can't. I just can't watch this. You know, I come from America. I come from a family that's very comfortable. It's just so painful for me. And Yankee said, okay, I understand. Now, a few weeks later was Lag Boimer. Now, Lag Boimer in Eretz Yisrael is a day of great celebration. And Chesky, being that he was in Eretz Yisrael for the first time Lag Boimer, he was going to go up to the caver of Rav Shumri because many, many people go to that caver on Lag Boimer. So he said to Yankel, he said, you know, I'm going up to the cave eruption by Yechoi, and I know that many times, you know, families go on outings. Would you like to come with me? He said, yeah, I'll bring my two children. That would be very nice. I'll meet you early in the morning on Rechov Malcha Yisrael. That's where all the buses are. But Chesky decided to do something special. He decided that he was going to buy a whole bunch of ice cream sandwiches. He was going to come early that morning to Yankel's home, and he would give the kids ice cream sandwiches because, of course, they never would be able to get that from their parents. The parents couldn't afford them. But the most amazing thing happened. He walked into the house, and of course, the kids recognized him. And he said, Kinderlach, children, I got you something special for like Boyman. I got you some ice cream sandwiches. And the kids were jumping up and down. Oh, they were so happy. But then they just said thank you, and they ran out of the house. Like, you couldn't imagine. Where are they running? They didn't even stop to eat the ice cream sandwiches. And he was like surprised. And a few minutes later, 10 kids from the neighborhood come running up the stairs together with Yankel's kids. And Yankel's kids take the ice cream sandwiches, take off the wrappers, take out knives, and they're cutting up evenly the pieces of the ice cream sandwiches, and they're giving it to all the kids in the neighborhood. He could not believe it. When do they ever get ice cream sandwiches to eat as a snack? And what they're doing, the first thing they were thinking is sharing with others. And he looked up and he saw Yankel standing behind the kids. And they winked to each other and they smiled to each other. And it was obvious that Chesky and Yankel were thinking the same thing. The kids had learned the lesson of Monsieur Nefesh by Yankel and his wife inviting guests to come and showing what it means to share, even if you're poverty-stricken, they had taught that lesson of Messiris Nefesh and sharing to their own children. How wonderful Klal Yisrael can be, especially the people in Eretz Yisrael. The name of this story is called The Song of Survival. The story took place in 1948, which is quite a while ago. And it was during a war between the Israelis and the Arabs. At that time, Rebel Yashiv, the Godel Hador, was living with his wife Miriam and their children. The oldest of the children was a girl named Batsheva. This Batsheva eventually would marry Reb Chaim Kanievsky. So we know her today as Batsheva Kanievsky, but at that time, she was Batsheva El Yashiv. And many, many bombs were flying and falling in places in Meyashur where Rabbi Yashiv lived. And Rahmanul a bomb fell on the 
apartment where Rabbi Yashiv was living, and there was a terrible, terrible tragedy. And Rabbi Yashiv decided that he has to move from this area. So he moved to another part of Yerushalayim called Mishkanais, and that's where he moved his family. Now, because the battles were so fierce, people couldn't get food. And the grocers were only allowed to sell food to people who lived in their neighborhoods. That means that Rebel Yashiv was able to get food in Meishorim, but not in Mishkanais, because over there that wasn't his regular dwelling place, and the grocer wouldn't sell him food. So they had to have one of the children that would go from Mishkanais back to the grocer in Meishorim. Now that was very scary because they had to walk through streets where bombs were falling. But Bacheva didn't want any of her younger brothers and sisters to do it. So she said she would go. And her Zaidi, her Zaidi was Rab Arya Levine, the great tzaddik. That was her mother's father. And Rab Arya Levine said, My grandchild, Bacheva, I'm not letting you walk alone. I'm going to walk with you. And that's what he would do. And one day they were walking and many, many bombs were falling. And Rabbi Arya Levine said, I have to go into the hospital here. I have to see if there are any pizzuim, any people that were hurt. And especially if they died, I know that I have to write down their names because soon they'll have a mass burial. They're going to bury all these people who were killed. And how will their wives ever be able to get remarried? There'll be no witnesses. So I have to come into the hospital. Batsheva, let me tell you what to do. You're going to walk yourself to Meyashorim. But I want you to say Kapital Tzadik Aleph. Because Kapital Tzadik Aleph is called Shir Shel Pegoim. That's what the Gemara in Shavuos tells us. And Kapital Tzadik Aleph is called Shir Shel Pegoim because that is the, the song, so to speak, that protects people from danger. And Batsheva Kanievsky would say this story many times that every day when I had to walk alone, I walked and I said, Yeshev Beseser. She had Mesiris Nefesh for her family. She was ready to risk her life to go and get bread for her younger brothers and sisters and for her parents, her father who was the Godlader Rebel Yashiv, and for her grandfather that was living there together with them, and of course for her mother. But that was unbelievable, Mesiris Nefesh. And you know something? I think it is absolutely remarkable because the Peirik, as we said, is called Yeshev Beseser. It's Kapital Tzadik Aleph, which is 91. And I'll tell you a story that Rabbi Moshe Feinstein once told someone who was about to have a serious operation that they should undertake to say brachas out loud so people would say amen. You know why? Because amen is equal 91. And the word malach, mem, lamed, aleph, chaf is also equal 91. And when you say amen, malachim are created. Now you take a look at the posik, the 11th posik in Yeshiva says, so you know what it says? Ki malochov yitzav aloch lishmorcho I am going to command the malachim, the angels, to protect you. Isn't that incredible? The word Malach is equal 91. Yeshev Beseser is equal 91. And you know something? Rabbi Moshe Feinstein lived to be 91. The one who gave that advice about saying Amen out loud. And Amen is 91 and Malach is 91. 
So my dear children, I want to tell you, if you are ever, ever in a time of danger, don't be afraid. If you could learn that capital of Tillam, capital 91, Yeshev Besesa Elyon, that's the Shir Shel Pagoyim. Sometimes we have to do something with Mesiris Nefesh, as Batsheva Al Yashiv, Batsheva Kanievsky did as a 16-year-old girl. But she said, Kapitol 91 Sadik Aleph, and with Mesiris Nefesh, Hashem did protect her, and she was saved. Let's remember that in times of danger. This story is called For a Bed in Panovich. Many, many years ago, in 1965, there was a young man who came from Switzerland to be enrolled in the Ponteviji Yeshiva in Bnei Brak. Many of you know that the Ponteviji Yeshiva is a very, very high-quality learning yeshiva. Only the best boys get in there. This boy knew that the Rosh Yeshiva was Rabbi Yosef Kahaneman, who was world-famous. Now, when he took the Faher, which means the test to get in, they told him that they already have a thousand boys in the yeshiva and there's just no room. Now he realized, what's the difference between a thousand and a thousand and one? So obviously he just wasn't up to par. He just probably didn't know as much as some of the other boys who come into Panovich from Eretz Yisrael or different places. So he said to the two people who were giving him the test, could you do me a favor? Could you please bring me to Rebetzin Kahneman? I would like to speak to her. Now, they were smiling and they were thinking like, what's the big deal? Why would he want to go to the Rebetzin? She has nothing to do with enrollment. But after all, the boy did come from Zurich, so they decided they will take him to the Rebetzin. He comes into the Rebetzin's home and she greets them very warmly. And he says, Rebetzin, I have a letter for you. And she opens up the envelope and the letter, and she can't believe it. She is stunned by what she's reading. And she says, this is amazing. Come with me to the Rosh Hashiva. And she takes the young boy and the two startled people who were giving the test, and they come into the Rosh Hashiva, and the Rebetzin says, please, Rosh Hashiva, read this letter. And he reads the letter, and he smiles. Nobody had a smile like the Panevizhirov. And he embraces and kisses the young boy who was probably about, oh, maybe 16, 17 at the time. And he says, you are accepted into my yeshiva. And nobody could believe it. What was in that letter? And many years later, the Panevizhirov will tell the story. You see, this happened in 1965. But in 1955, 10 years earlier, when this boy, Lazer Marillas, was only six or seven years old, his parents were very wealthy, and they would go to Switzerland every summer and every winter for a little vacation. And they were in a hotel, this was in the town of Wengen, and they always had room 111 on the first floor, a very beautiful room. Now, one particular winter, at the height of the season, Lazer Mangolis came only with his mother. His father had to be away in business. And that year, the Panevizhirov in 1955 had some surgery, and they told him, the doctors told him in Eretz Yisrael, he's got to go on vacation. He's got to get away from the pressures of the yeshiva and in Eretz Yisrael. And so he came to Wingen, and he wanted to be in this hotel. But... At that time, the only room that was available was on the third floor, and it would have been very hard for him to walk. 
So Mr. Pugach, who was the one who took care of registration, he remembered that Mrs. Marillis and Laser were in room 111, so he thought maybe he would ask them if they would switch the rooms for the sake of the Rav. And he came to ask the lady, and she said, oh, for sure, I would give my room to the Ponavision Rosh Hashiva, but you got to ask the young cavalier. you got to ask the young gentleman. Cavalier is a French word for gentleman. And the little boy said, oh, of course, of course, for the Rosh Hashiva, I would give up my room. And sure enough, Mr. Pugach arranged that the Marillises went up to the third floor and the Panavizhirov and his Revitzin went to room 111. A little while later, the Revitzin came up to the third floor and knocked on the door of Mrs. Marillis and said, you know, I want to thank you so much that you gave us the room. And she said, well, it's not only me, it's the young cavalier. He had Messiris Nefesh. He's also he's always used to that big room with his comfortable bed, but he gave it to the Rosh Hashiva because he has Darachadz for the Rosh Hashiva. And Mrs. Kahneman said, Oh, young man, would you come down to the first floor? They have a beautiful chocolate shop. I would love to buy you some chocolates for what you did for my husband, the Rosh Hashiva. He said, No, thank you, Robertson. I have enough food. I don't need the chocolate. She said, You know, I'm going into town. I could buy you beautiful toys. She says, No, my parents have given me all the toys that I need. She said, but we want to do something for you. Now listen what the child said. The child, he was six or seven years old. He said, I just gave my bed to the Panavizhirov. I hope that one day if I ever come to Panavizh in Israel, the Rov will give me a bed in his yeshiva. Well, the Rebetzin was amazed at that. She couldn't believe it. She took out a piece of paper and she wrote, If this boy, Lazar Marillus, ever comes to Parnovich, a bed will be waiting for him in the yeshiva. And she ran downstairs, had Rav Yosef Kahneman sign it, and she brought it back to Mrs. Marillus. And you know something? Mrs. Marillus, when she got back to Switzerland, she put it in the safe. And she kept it there for 10 years. And then when she sent her son to Parnovich, that was the letter that she sent. And the Parnovich said, Masira Snefesh is in different levels. This little boy was so comfortable in that room, but he was willing to be Moisa Nefesh to give a Rosh Yeshiva his bed. And so therefore, of course, he deserved that he should have a bed in the Yeshiva. And that's really what we have to learn. You know, the Gemara tells us, where do children learn this covet of Tamir HaChomen? And the Gemara at the end of Sukkah tells us, Shusa Dianuka Bashuka. That was children say in the street, Oy Diavua, Oy Diima. Either they learned it from their father and mother. And I had this chus to meet Lazy Marillas when he was older. He told me he learned in Potavish for 10 years. But his parents always had such tremendous mysterious nefesh. When Gedolim came to Zurich, they ran around with them and they raised money for them and they made parlor meetings for them. And that little boy learned it. So the Messiris Nefesh Vatayra was something that was passed on to this child. And that's why he became the great Talmud Chacham in Potavish. This story is called Light in the Dark. My mother, Lashalom, grew up in Philadelphia and she wrote a wonderful book called The Way It Was. And of course, she grew up in the 1920s, 1930s, and Yiddishkeit was not the same the way it is today. There was a tremendous amount of Messiris Nefesh that people had to have in order to keep Shabbos. And this story she wrote in her book and would tell me often. When she was 16, she got a job, her first job, and what it was in a billing company in Philadelphia. The building was on a place called Arch Street, two and a half miles from her home. Now the owner, Mr. Stein, was a very tough person. He hired only those that were very smart 
and very diligent, which my mother was. She was so diligent, she would come in 8.30 in the morning and leave at 6.30 at night. Now, in the summers and in autumn, Friday was not a problem. But then the days got shorter, and she knew that she would have to leave earlier. And one Friday afternoon, Mr. Stein, who knew that she was a from girl, and he himself was a Shema Shabbos, but he was very strict and he said, Here, Hindi, I want you to take care of these bills and you'll be able to make it home in time for Shabbos. And she said, Mr. Stein, take a look at this. It's going to take me two hours. Lichtbenchen is at 418. I can't leave the way I usually do on Fridays. I've got to leave earlier because the days are very short. He said, don't worry, you'll leave at 3.30 and you'll make it. Well, she started rushing and you know what happens when you rush? You start making mistakes. And she realized this is not going to work. And she realized that she has to leave the office. Unfortunately, the bus did not come on time and she started walking. It was a two and a half mile walk. And she passed those streets called Thompson and Columbia and Montgomery and still there was no bus and it was beginning to get dark. Now, of course, in those days, there were no cell phones. So there was no way that she could have called her mother to tell her that she was going to be late. And she told me that she often regretted that she didn't call her mother when she first left the office. And she began thinking, oh, my goodness, probably my father went to shul already. And maybe even my mother benched licht. And as she was walking, it was getting darker and darker. And sure enough, when she came home, her mother was waiting for her and hugged her. My mother said she didn't cry. She had to hold herself back from crying. But she knew that her father had already gone to shul. Shabbos went by uneventfully. And Sunday morning, when she saw Mr. Stein in her office, she was worried because he saw that big pile of bills and he knew that she had left early. And he said to her, what time did you leave? She said, Mr. Stein, I left at 3.30, but I could not get on the bus. There was no bus. And I had to walk two and a half miles to my home. And by the time I got home, it was dark already. My mother had been schlicht and my father had gone to shul. She was positive that Mr. Stein would say, I don't care. You should have taken care of all of this. And he would fire her. He just walked out of the office. He didn't say a word to her. He didn't say a word to her on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. Friday morning, he comes into the office and he said, Hindi, I don't want you to walk home this week. I'm going to let you go two hours early. And then he turned to one of the other girls in the office and he said, you know something? Sometimes you can learn something from a young kid. And my mother felt so good that she had taught him that lesson. And the reason that I call this story Light in the Dark, you know why? Because the Pasuk tells us, Ki ner mitzvah v'tayra ar. Every mitzvah is a light. Keeping the Torah is the shining light. And that's what she did. She kept that light even as she walked in the darkness. And you know something? In the book, The Way It Was, Rabbi Nussan Sherman on the inside flap wrote something fabulous. He wrote, Mrs. Crone wrote a book the way it was, but this is the way it became. 
because people of her Mesiris Nefesh for Shabbos set the example for the future generations of today. Thank you.